apologize to Mark um, for, I forgot to give him a scripture reading tonight. So um, I appreciate him, though, reading a pertinent passage such as Deuteronomy chapter 6 and how uh, even though, yes, we are underneath a different covenant, a different law, the Word of God certainly still rings true and loud today in our lives and how certainly we can look at it and its principles in the Old Testament and apply those things to our lives. That's Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. So I do appreciate him reading a pertinent passage such as that, even though I forgot to give him a passage for today. If you know anything about me, you know that I am a very, very competitive person. There are few things in this world that I dislike more than that of losing. Um, It grinds my gears to lose. I don't care what it is. I just hate losing. It can be something as simple as losing a board game. In fact, a couple weeks ago, Kayla and I were sitting at our table. We were playing the game of Monopoly. She kicked my tail, and I was in a bad mood the rest of the evening. A couple weeks later, we played the game of life. Same result, and once again, I was in a bad mood the rest of the night. I just There's just something about me, this competitive gene inside of me, that I just hate losing. I can't stand it. Any contest, any sport, any game, any opportunity that I have to win and that I don't, that's just a tough pill for me to swallow. And I don't know, maybe that's something I need to work on. Maybe I need to get a little bit better at accepting uh, the, the fate of my lack of ability to play board games or whatever it might be. But... If there's anything that's a competition, man, I want to win it. I want to do my best to win whatever it might be. There's a book that was written, and I have it right here with me. It's actually entitled The God Contest. And every night, just about every night before Kayla and I go to sleep, I pick a book out and I read it uh, to our baby girl. And this is one of the books that I have recently, we recently picked up and I read. And this is probably one of my most favorite books that we have picked up and I have been able to read. Um, it's written by Mr. Carl Lafurton. Um, And basically what it does is, all it does is it walks you through, as the reader, maybe a little bit of a dumbed-down version of 1 Kings chapter 18. And it talks about the God contest that took place there with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, um, and then obviously Almighty God and the sacrifices that were offered there. Well, tonight what I want to do is I want to walk and maybe not do a not-so-dumbed-down version of 1 Kings chapter 18. And I want to talk about this God contest that takes place here in 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your copy of the Word of God, I do encourage you to go ahead and be opening your Bible there. Uh, We're going to do a study from this book. This is probably one of my favorite Old Testament passages. Um, It's so interesting to me because it it really shows you and me um, that someone like Elijah, Elijah was a person just like you and I today. He was a human just like you and I were, you and I are, and yet he was someone who was able to, obviously with the help of Almighty God, be a bright light in a very, very dark world in which he was living. He was able to confidently help showcase who God was, just exactly who he was, and exactly what God was able to do and what he's still able to do today. And he would show King Ahab, evil King Ahab, that in those prophets there that he talked to, just exactly who was going to win this contest, and that they didn't know who it was that they were messing with. Look with me here as we begin 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's understand the setting. Let's understand what's going on here in this passage of Scripture. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 18, you look at verse 2, we find that there's a drought in the land. There is a famine. In fact, verse 2 describes it as a severe famine. And so the people, obviously, they're struggling. They're, they're struggling, and they've been struggling with this for some time. How do we know that? Well, we can go all the way to the New Testament. We could read James chapter 5, and you think about verse 17, where James talks about Elijah, how he was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And look at this. He says, and it did not rain on the land for how long? 
three years and six months. Can you imagine not having a drop of rain on the land for three years and six months? We go in the summer, we go two weeks without rain, and we think that we're in a severe drought. Three years and six months, that's hard to imagine, and yet that's the power of God working in that time and in that place. But because of the famine, King Ahab is in what we might say a pickle. And so he, he goes to a man by the name of Obadiah. Now, this man by the name of Obadiah, is this the same man who authored the minor prophet book that we call Obadiah? Possibly, well, we actually don't know. We really, the only thing we know about anyone by the name of Obadiah in the Bible is that his name means servant of the Lord. That's really the only thing we know about Obadiah. Essentially, nothing is known about the author who wrote that minor prophet book. Now, there, and this is just a fun fact, you can do what you want with this. There are actually only four, really four prominent men in the Bible by the name of Obadiah. There are only four of them. Number one is this man, Obadiah, that we read about here in 1 Kings 18, the man who was a steward, somewhat of an, an advisor to King Ahab. Then you could go to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. This is Obadiah number two. He was a man who was sent by Jehoshaphat the king into Judah to teach. Then you have Obadiah number three. Obadiah number three was, um, had given Amaziah, the king Amaziah, advice on who to fight his battles with, who was to be his teammates. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 25. And then you have Obadiah number four. Obadiah number four was one of the overseers who helped in the rebuilding of the temple during the time of Josiah. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 34. So, Take your pick of who you want to believe picked, uh, or rather wrote the book of Obadiah. You can do whatever you want with that. But anyways, Ahab basically tells Obadiah, look, I've got to do something, okay? I'm the king. This is falling on my shoulders. I've got to do something. Here's what I want you to do, Obadiah. I want you to go to the springs. I want you to go to the brooks, and I want you to search for grass. I want you to search for things that our flocks, our animals can eat because if they die, then we really have nothing left. You go that way, King Ahab says, I'm going to go this other way, and then we're both going to hopefully find some kind of nourishment for our cattle. So they go their separate ways, and you get to verse 7. And in verse 7 is where Obadiah meets the man by the name of Elijah. And to make this introduction, I guess, in this background short, essentially through these next few verses, what Elijah tells Obadiah is basically, go fetch the king. Go fetch King Ahab. And that takes us right up to verse 17. That's where I want to start our, the majority of our study here this evening, here in verse 17. Five things I want to point out from this text of 1 Kings chapter 18, and then the lesson will be yours. Number one, I want to talk about the challenge. The challenge that we see laid out here in 1 Kings chapter 18. Keep in mind what's going on here. King Obadiah, or rather, Ahab, oh, excuse me, Obadiah has just sent for King Ahab, he's just been sent to him by Elijah, and so he comes back, and he meets Elijah. Notice what he says here beginning in verse 17. Look what he says. He says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you? This is Ahab talking to Elijah. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? If you're reading other translations, they say, Is that you, the one who is ruining Israel? And how ironic that statement is, but also really how fitting it is for King Ahab because you and I know that so oftentimes it's true that those who cause the problems and the issues are often the ones who are always pointing their fingers at everyone else, aren't they? Surely, Ahab says, surely I couldn't be the one who's doing anything wrong. Elijah, you're the troublemaker. Elijah, you're the one who's ruining Israel. You're the one who's making the situation worse. But have you, ever, have you ever thought about why Ahab would feel this way towards Elijah? Why would Ahab be so outraged at Elijah? Why would he, he be so upset at this man? 
But I think it's simple, and I think really we know the answer. Elijah was a prophet, wasn't he? Elijah was a prophet of Almighty God, and who was Ahab? Ahab was the evil king who just lived for himself. Ahab knew good and well that he wasn't living the way that God would have him to live. Ahab knew good and well that his life did not align with what God would want him to do. In fact, if you go back two chapters, you go to, you go to 1 Kings chapter 16, and you look at verse 30, the Bible says that Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, look at this, more than all who were before him. He knew that he was not in a right standing with God. He knew that he hadn't been, and he knew that he was one of the worst kings that there ever was. And in comparison to all the kings, really, he was the worst. He was trying to put the blame on Elijah. I think about false teachers today and how time and time and time again, false teachers are almost always never, ever willing to admit the error of their way. I mean, faithful Christians try to bring it all to the table when they try to combat their false teaching. Oftentimes they do what Ahab did and they try to shift the blame on them. In fact, I think about what Paul said and back in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 17, Paul said, Now I urge you, brethren, note those, the King James says, mark those who cause divisions and offenses which are contrary to the doctrine which you learned. And look at this, he says, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul says, know who they are. Note them. He says, mark them. Avoid them. Don't spend your time with them. Don't do things with them. That's the Greek word eklino. It means to basically go out of your way to not associate with any of these men who are teaching these false things. Why? Because they don't serve Jesus. Jesus is not their king. He does not reign in their lives, but rather they live for themselves. Smooth words, flattering speech, just like King Ahab. I think back to verse 18 of our text, when Elijah says, I think this is interesting, Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel, but what does he say? But you and your father's house have. Elijah says, look, I know what I've done. I know that I haven't troubled Israel. I know that I haven't ruined Israel. I know that I haven't done anything wrong, but Ahab, in fact, you have. Elijah, how do you know that? How do you know that Ahab is the one who is being troublesome for Israel? Look at the end of verse 18. In that you have forsaken the commandment of the Lord and followed the Baals. Ahab, you have abandoned God. Ahab, you have gone astray. You have not yet come back to Almighty God. You are a practicer and a worshiper of idols, of Baal himself. And along with that, you have an unwillingness to see your error and you're trying to put it off on me. Ahab, you're the one who troubles Israel. And because of that, verse 19, Elijah says, let's set forth a challenge. Ahab, you believe in idols? Okay, fine. You believe in Baal? That's great. You believe in those man-made idols, those man-made images? Let, let's, let's put it to the test. Let's, it's time to put your money where your mouth is, as they say. Let's go to Mount Carmel, Ahab. Let's figure this thing out. Let's see who's right. And so he calls out the 450 prophets of Baal. He calls out the 400 prophets of Asherah. Asherah was the god whose Ahab's wife Jezebel served. He calls all of them out, 950 prophets. Elijah calls them all out and says, let's go put this to the test. Now, this is an interesting thing. When you think about the prophets of Asherah, the, the prophets of Jezebel, they're never mentioned again. This is the only time they're ever mentioned in the text. If you go to the end of this account, you go to verse 40, and you read in verse 40, no order of execution is actually ever given to these prophets. It's only for the prophets of Baal. Elijah never challenges them to set up an idol, to put an altar together, and to put a sacrifice together. And so for some reason, even though Elijah calls them out, 
They don't come. They're not there. However, Asherah obviously is still a false god just like Baal. And we're going to see what Almighty God does to them in just a few moments. Now, think about this challenge from Ahab's perspective, okay? Here's big old king, powerful Ahab, right? He's one of these, him and these 950 prophets have just been called out by who? One man, Elijah. Surely he's thinking, who's Elijah? Who is this one man? I'm the king. I've got 950 prophets on my side. I've got armies on my side. Of course I'll accept this challenge. What confidence Ahab had to have had going into this thinking he was going to come out victorious. But certainly all of that would change very quickly. Let's move on. Number two, I want to talk about the criteria. We've looked at the challenge. I want to talk about the criteria of what is involved in this, in this contest. I want to talk about the standard. Basically, the instructions that were given. What is involved in this so-called God contest? Really, it's simply, it's straightforward. We don't spend too much time on it, and we'll move on. Pick up here in the beginning of verse 21. <clears throat> Elijah came to the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. This is Elijah speaking to the prophets. But if Baal, follow Him. But look at this. The people answered Him, not a word. It's almost like Elijah is giving them one more chance. He says, I'm giving you one more shot to make your lives right with God. But the people answered Him, not a word. Elijah sets forth this challenge. Don't live for the world. Don't live for yourselves. Don't live for this unrighteous king, for this wicked king. Make the choice to live for Almighty God. Pick one or the other. He says you can't go back and forth. We know that. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. We know passages like Matthew 12 and verse 30. Jesus said, he who's not with me is against me. We know these things. We understand a choice has to be made. And yet, unfortunately for those false prophets, their choice was made on the wrong side. And Elijah tries to give them another chance. He tries to give them, look, here's one more opportunity for you to do it's right, but they won't do it. I find it interesting here in verse 21 when Elijah says, how long will you falter between two opinions? And I was doing a little bit of research on this phrase, and I was reading in Mr. Clark's commentary. He says really what it means is this sentiment, and this is in really, really old English, so it's not going to make any sense until I explain it in a different way, okay? But this is what Mr. Clark says. He essentially says what this phrase means is this, how long hop ye about upon two bows? What in the world does that, make? What does that mean? Okay, well, we had to do a little bit more research. Essentially, what that term means is this. It comes from this idea of a bird. And a bird is hopping about from place to place, not knowing where to land, not knowing where to settle down, where to stay. And so in other words, Elijah says, look, people, prophets, stop going from A to B and then back to A. Make your choice and stick with it. Just stay where you're going to be and just stick with it. If you want to stick, stick, go to the side of God, then do it. If you don't, then don't. Stop flip-flopping back and forth. Make your choice today who you're going to serve. But not a single person moved. They've assembled at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, interestingly enough, is on the easternmost part of this mountain. It's on the highest ridge where they were. It's called uh, El Marake, otherwise known as the Burning or the Burnt Place, and fittingly so because of what was about to take place here in just a few moments. Read with me here beginning in verse 22. Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. A couple things very quickly. I wonder what went through Elijah's mind. You ever thought about that? Here's Elijah standing here across from all these prophets, these 450 men, standing alone, standing across from King Evil Ahab. Odds certainly were not in his favor, were they? They were stacked against him, and yet here Elijah stood confidently, passionately, humbly before these people. Brothers and sisters, I only could hope in my life 
to have a shred of that confidence that he had if I were in a situation like Elijah was. To do what he did, when he did, and in the way that he did it, what an example he is to us. But it's interesting, he says, I alone and left. Elijah, not really. You're not the only one left. We think about Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. What does God say? I will never leave you nor what? Nor forsake you. God's always going to be with them. Look at verse 23 of our text. And here's, here's the criteria. Here's the instructions that Elijah gives. Therefore, Elijah says, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call the name of your gods and I will call the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves, prepare it for your many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So, very simple, isn't it? One bull apiece, lay it on the wood, don't put fire to it, and then you get to call on your so-called God, you rain down fire. Elijah says, I'll do the same, and then the God who answers, that's the God that we're going to worship. That's the, God, the true God that we know exists. Now, just to save some time, I want to go ahead and jump. Jump with me to verse 32. And we're going to look at what Elijah does here for his sacrifice, and then we'll go back and see what happens as the result of these sacrifices. Evidently, if you look at verse 30, there was already an altar there. Uh, it had been used in previous sacrifice and worship to God. And so it's, it's funny, Elijah, he, said, he tells the prophets, keep in mind what's just happened. They have just done this. It obviously hasn't worked. You guys know the story. I'm not spoiling it for you. You know <clears throat> that, that the prophets of Baal called and nothing happened. And so after that, Elijah goes to set up his altar and he says, come here. And it's almost like he's saying, gather around. Let me show you how it's really done. Let me show you how you really make an altar and how you really call on God and what's really going to happen. So he takes the 12 stones, those, each of those stones representing one of the tribes of Israel, and he erects this altar. And in verse 33, he says this, the Bible says this, and he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Okay, Elijah says, look, cut you. I'm going to cut my wood. I'm going to put it into place. You cut your bull up. You put it into place. But then look at this. He says, this is what I want to do for my sacrifice. He says, I want you to take four water pots. I want you to pour them on the wood. Elijah, what? What are you talking about? Verse 34. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. As if to add insult to injury, and again, we know the story, right? We know what has just happened. They have not been successful. The prophets of Baal have. And so as if to add insult to injury to everything that's already gone on, Elijah says, we're going to have fire come down. It's going to consume this sacrifice. But first, let me drench it in water. Not once, not twice, but three times. Let me do it three times. I don't know if you've ever tried to start a fire with wet wood. It doesn't work, okay? It, it, it does not work. Elijah, you're already outnumbered. Your life's already in danger. The odds are already not on your side, numerically speaking. And yet here you are drenching your sacrifice in water before you light it on fire. What in the world are you thinking? Are you trying to make your life harder than it already has to be? Well, let's move on and let's see what happens. Number three, this is the third thing I want to look at and kind of how we've divided this passage up. I want to look at the call. I want to look at the call that these prophets and then that Elijah has also made to their gods. Go back to verse 26 with me. Go back to verse 26. So they took the bull which was given them. This is talking about the prophets of Baal. And they prepared it, called it on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. 
Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. Elijah says, look, y'all go first. Okay, You guys get the first crack at this contest. Go ahead, you show your stuff, and we'll see what happens. Can you imagine 450 men yelling? 450 men leaping about, dancing about. If you skip to verse 28, the Bible says that they cried aloud. They cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. They did everything that they could think of to get this so-called God to answer them. And there was nothing. Silence. No sound. No movement. No fire from the sky. Silence. You know, sometimes I wonder, what would have happened if fire had actually come down from heaven? Boy, it would have been written a whole lot differently, wouldn't it? If Baal had sent down fire, I promise you the contest would have ended right then and there. Because their open-mindedness to even understand and hear out Elijah and his God would have gone completely out the window if fire had come down when they called. Elijah probably would have been executed. 1 Kings 18 would have been written completely different. We would read it rather completely different than what we do now. Not to mention, if fire had come down, it would have made our perfect God a liar, wouldn't it? Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 35, the Bible says to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord Himself is God, that there is no other besides Him. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, what was actually read just a moment ago. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 22, Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 60, That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. Psalm 18 and verse 31, For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Do we need to go on? 2 Kings 5 and verse 15. Nehemiah 9 and verse 6. Isaiah 43, 44, 45, 46. Hosea chapter 13 and verse 4. On and on and on we could go. Where the Bible teaches us that there is only one God. If Baal had been real. If Baal could have sent down even just one spark from heaven. That would have completely contradicted this book that we study and love today. Everything that God had told us. It would have made him a liar. It would have made him a being that couldn't be trusted. A perfect being that would never have been sufficient enough to sacrifice himself for us. And we would stand here today with no hope. We would be stuck here living in a world that's so dangerous, so dark, so dismal, and yet we see no way out. A time where we would have nothing to look forward to after this life. No point to our worship. No point to our way of life. No point to anything that we do at all. But no spark came. No fire came. In fact, there was nothing. It's just silence. Brethren, because God is real. And He is the only and living God. Verse 27 always been a little comical to me when I read this in the context of what's going on. This is Elijah speaking. The Bible says this in verse 27. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. Okay, They're, they're calling on their God. Nothing's happening. Verse 27, he says, call aloud, for he is a God. Either he's meditating or, or he's busy. Maybe, maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping. 
and must be awakened. Go to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44, and we're going to read a passage here in just a moment. But when I think about Elijah here in verse 27, I think about the mockery, the ridicule, the contempt. I think about the hilarity that comes along with everything that's going on here. But how fitting, right? We think about Baal. Baal is an inanimate object, isn't he? A thing that you could literally, think, something that was literally made by mankind. That's what's always baffled me about idols. They are literally made by mankind. And then man says, oh, this thing that I just made, it's going to do and has done and will do all of these things for me. It makes no sense, the idea of idolatry. It makes no sense. And yet I find this ridicule to be so comical. Baal, oh yeah, yeah, he, he's probably just meditating. He's probably doing something different. Or maybe Baal's just too busy for you guys. Maybe, maybe he's got a lot of other things going on and he just doesn't have time for y'all. Or Baal, you know, I bet Baal is probably on a journey. Maybe he's on vacation. Oh, you know what? He's probably asleep. Maybe you should yell even louder. Maybe you should yell even more to try to wake him up. Can you see the foolishness that comes to idol, that comes with this idea of idols? Look at me here, Isaiah chapter 44. Look at me here, beginning in verse 9. Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 9. Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with the hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. Verse 13. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks, he marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself, takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. Verse 16, he burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god. His carved image, he falls down before it and worships it. Prays to it and says, Deliver me. For you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. Verse 19, and no one, know, rather, no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Brethren, an idol, it is nothing. It consists of nothing. It will amount to nothing. It will bring about nothing. And brethren, so is anything in this world that gets between you and your God in heaven. Very quickly, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's look at verse 36. Let's look at what... Let's look at what Elijah does here on, and when it's his turn to make this call to God. 
Chapter 18, look at verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trenches, as if to make sure that they were going to see just exactly, without a doubt, who God truly was. A statement was made. The wood, the sacrifice, the water, all of it, completely gone, just like that. Man, what a sight that would have been to see. Number four, let's move on. Let's look at the consequence. The consequence of what happens after this. What did happen? What happened after this call is made? The challenge was set forth. The criteria was laid out. They called to their gods. Now what's the consequence? What has happened after all of this? Look at verse 39. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. What a recognition. Now I reckon, I, I guess if I was in their shoes and I had just witnessed what they had just witnessed, then surely I would have recognized the same thing. Now some might say, well, that's unfair, God. That's unfair. They just recognized who you were. They just recognized that you were the God. Surely they were going to be okay. Surely you wouldn't have to punish them for what they've done. But yet, I think back to when I was a child and when I got in trouble. Man, I could say sorry. I could say I'm sorry all I want. I could hype my dad up and make him the greatest dad that ever walked the face of the planet. And guess what I still got? I still got punished too. There are consequences to our actions. Just because they recognized who God was didn't mean that they were going to escape the consequences of their actions. And boy, did they ever pay for it. Down to the brook Kaishan they went never to ever come back again. Number five, this is the last one we'll talk about very, very quickly. We'll go through these. I want to look at the correlation. What in the world is it? What can we learn from this? What does this passage of Scripture have to do with us here as New Testament Christians? Let's look at the correlation. Six things very, very, very quickly. And you probably, if you're taking notes, you probably want to have time to write down what they are. We're going to go through these quickly. Number one, what we can learn from 1 Kings 18, we must be willing to call out false teachers. That's number one. We have to be willing to call out false teachers. I go back to verse 18, very, at the very beginning of this passage. Ahab has just wrongfully accused Elijah of doing something that he wasn't doing. And what is Elijah's response there in verse 18? He says, I'm not troubling Israel, but rather you and your father have, because you've forsaken Almighty God. Elijah, don't you understand who you're talking to? Elijah, that's the king. Don't you know what he could do to you? But you see, that didn't matter to Elijah, did it? Elijah was willing to stand out and to call out the king for his wrong actions. Brethren, when it comes to false teachers, when it comes to false teaching, we must be willing to call it out. If there is anything or anyone that is ever contrary to this book right here, we must call it out. Number two, we have to be willing to take a stand. We must, as Christians, be willing to take a stand. Look at verse 21. Elijah is speaking to the prophets and he says, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. Brethren, we have to be willing to take a stand. Elijah knew exactly where he was in his time on this earth. He wasn't flip-flopping back and forth. He wasn't going back and forth like the believers of Baal were. He was taking a stand 
And that's what he wanted from those men who were crossed away from him. I go back a couple of weeks ago. You remember we talked about Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, there in verse, 30, there in verse 5, whenever the Bible says, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, they are a rebellious house. But what does he say about Ezekiel? He says, Yet they will know that a what? A prophet has been among them. Brethren, do people know where you stand today as a Christian? Number three, have confidence. Be someone who has confidence. Look at verse 33 and verse 34. Right here in this passage, Elijah, he's given the criteria, right? He says, cut the wood, uh, cut the bull, put it all into place. But then what does he say? He says, douse it with water. Not once, not twice, but three times. Pour water all over it. Elijah obviously had confidence in God. He knew that regardless of what was going to take place, God was going to take care of him. He had faith that God was going to carry him through. So much so to where he doused his entire water with sacrifice. What faith he had, even though he faced certain death in the face, knowing that God was going to take care of him. Number four, let's remember who God is. This is number four. Remember who God is. Look at, look at part of verse 36 here. Look at the beginning of this passage, of this verse. And it came to pass here in verse 36, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, look at this, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Elijah knew just exactly who God was, didn't he? He knew just exactly what God was capable of, didn't he? I find the contrast between the prophets and the way that they called on their God and then Elijah and the way that he called on his God to be so interesting because it's so different, isn't it? What did the prophets of Baal do? They yelled, they screamed, they leapt about, they cut themselves, they did all that they could to make a scene. And what did Elijah do? Elijah simply and reverently prayed to Almighty God. He acknowledged who he was and he simply prayed to him. Never forget who God is and what he's done for you. Number five, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Look at the end of verse 36 here. He's just acknowledged God, acknowledged who he is. And then in verse 36, what does he say? I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Who was Elijah? Elijah was a prophet of God. Someone who had a direct line with God himself. He was someone who didn't even experience death in this life. He was taken up in a chariot. He never faced death in this life. And yet Elijah understood and acknowledged just exactly who he was when it came to Almighty God. Elijah says, I'm just a servant. Brethren, if more Christians would simply just understand that all of us as Christians, we are simply lowly servants, then certainly a lot of the strife and division that we face today would immediately be put to rest. Number six, the last one for you this evening. Always point others to God. Always point others to God. The prophets have set up their sacrifices. They are calling, they are petitioning on their quote-unquote God. Nothing has happened. And so Elijah builds his altar. His sacrifice is completely consumed. And the people in verse 39, they recognized who God was. And he didn't take the credit for himself, did he? He didn't say, oh, look, look, guys, look, I, I've brought this fire down, this praise. Praise me. Praise me. Look, look at what I've done. He didn't say, no, look, look, you foolish people. I'm the smart one. Follow me. No, he pointed them to his creator. Brothers and sisters, everything that we do in this life ought to point others to the Savior. We ought to be like a mirror in that, the, that we reflect everything that is pointed towards us, towards Almighty God. In that heavenward direction, what a responsibility it is that you and I have.
to point others to Christ. Maybe you're here this evening and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're someone who can't point others to Jesus Christ because you haven't given your life over to Him. Know that you can change that this evening. You can come forward, repent of your sins. We can take that great confession and we can baptize you into this water, which is a representation of the blood of Jesus, washing your sins away. Or maybe you're here and you are a Christian, as I suspect many of us are this evening, and yet maybe your life's not right. Maybe your life is not what it should be. Maybe you've given yourself over to things like idols in this world, whether it be money or fame or whatever it might be that this world offers you that says it's better than anything else you could ever have. No, heaven is the greatest thing you could ever have. And know that you can have that if you wipe your slate clean, give your life over to the Lord. If you have a need, won't you come? As together we stand and as we sing.